This episode of Vintage Stormfront Freaks has been previously recorded. Brought to you by the AMS Weather Band. Join a community of weather enthusiasts at amsweatherband.org. The Drive Weather App. Avoid dangerous weather on your road trip at driveweatherapp.com. And Midland Radios. Built for communication and made for connection at midlandusa.com. And Windstorm Products. For all your hurricane hardware needs, shop windstormproducts.com. So tonight we have Skip Talbot, a storm chaser from Springfield, Springfield, Illinois. Skip Talbot is a software and graphics developer who started roaming the Great Plains and Midwest in search of supercells in tornadoes in 2003. He's logged over 100,000 storm chasing miles and has documented over 90 tornadoes. Skip has applied his skills to his passion for storm chasing, developing radar visualization, visualizations, with video and data overlays to study different events like the 2013 El Reno tornado. He also helps run a nonprofit charity for storm victims called Storm Assist. Now, Skip, let me ask the first question here. What is your favorite phenomena to search? Are you like a supercell guy? Are you into more into tornadoes? What's your what's your forte? Yeah, the, the tornado is the pinnacle. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. the, it's the ultimate catch, so yeah. So you I, look like, I'm sorry, you look like you're like 21 and you've been chasing for 10 years. <laughs> so you're the youngest storm chaser ever on the plains, right? Yeah, I'm 35 actually, but I started wow. in college. So yeah, I've, I've been going around for a while, but yeah, I've got a bit of a baby face. <laughs> so so I'm going to ask you a little bit, Skip, obviously with your career. So your career, you're kind of in software and graphics. Uh, my, my, my question is where, how do you tie that career into how you got interested in storm chasing first? Second question to that is how do you use your skills in software and graphics, uh, to maybe help you with storm chasing? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So they started off as two completely separate, you know, paths, you know, I was doing one thing over here and another thing over there. Uh, my job was completely independent of my storm chasing hobby, you know, and it just started as an interest for me, something I wanted to go and do. So I just went out into the field and started storm chasing. And meanwhile, I had my own job as a software developer. But the two have now converged where I have folks, atmospheric scientists and, and other people asking me, you know, we need help with this software. We need help with this website. And so right now, the projects I'm actually working on directly tie into the storm chasing I do. So I'm working with these same scientists out in the field, and uh, it's kind of come full circle now where I'm using my skills as a software developer to, to build radar software and websites where we can visualize what these storms are doing. And yeah, I've actually used that out in the field. So I have some of my own custom tools I've written that help me track down a storm, um, get a better position on it, actually um, point the cameras that I'm using when I'm out there out in the field. So I, I use kind of a robotic camera dome setup and i have custom software that drives that so but yeah how, how was your first one everybody has their first storms so how was your first day storm chasing what was it like my first day of storm chasing was um 
was borderline disastrous. Um, it was wildly dangerous and reckless. Um, I do not recommend anybody do what I did for my first time. I was in college. Um, I was with my buddies and for, I'd been studying on about storm chasing for a few years and wanted to go out in the field and do it. But I decided tonight's the night we're going storm chasing. There was a high risk for tornadoes in Illinois. There was a big tornado outbreak underway. Um, I told my college buddies, come on, jump in the car. We're going storm chasing. We had a weather radio, a paper map, and, uh, and that was it. It was nighttime. Oh. There was a major outbreak in progress, and we were just listening to the radio in the darkness. And I found a town name that one of the warnings called out, and we plotted a route, and uh, we got in front of that storm. And we wound up four punching um, a tornado worn supercell in pitch black. And over the roar of the hail, we could just make out the tornado sirens. Uh, my my friends wanted to murder me. Luckily, uh, we didn't drive into any tornadoes, but uh, but yeah, it was pretty dangerous. I think and, you uh, were driving. <laughs> Uh, no, I was you doing the map that. and the radio. So yeah, <laughs> you had a very faithful driver there. Yes. They were following your instructions. Yeah. Did you, did you get hailed on? Oh yeah, yeah. We had golf balls coming down in, in, in the pitch black darkness. We couldn't see a thing. And it wasn't your car. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I think we did take my car. So oh, did you? Okay. That's probably one of the reasons why we kept going. So. <laughs> yeah, you thought hell. That's not my car. It doesn't matter. <laughs> So, hey, I want to quick jump back to your, um, as you're talking about vehicles, so you're talking about this uh, uh, software program that helps your camera. Yeah. Uh, explain that a little bit in yeah, layman's so, terms. <laughs> sure, sure. So when I'm chasing, there have been moments where something's happened behind me or to the side of me, and I can't get a shot of it, you know, because I'm in the car and there's an obstruction, or I, I just can't get a good video shot while we're in motion. So I said, I got to fix this. I got to devise a way to, to, to correct this. So in 2009, I built a, a camera dome. And what it is, it's, it's an acrylic dome that's see-through. And I put that up on top of the roof of my car. And inside is my video camera. I actually have little um, servo motors, um, robot motors that do the pan and tilt of this camera. And then that's connected to the laptop in my vehicle. And then I can actually control via software that I've written with the cameras looking at, I've got a nice little video preview on my screen. So, I mean, there's been times where we've had a tornado literally chasing us down the road and I can just quickly adjust that software and then point that camera straight back and, and be tracking that, that tornado, even though it's behind us. Is, is 2.0 gonna, you're gonna teach it how to actually see a tornado and just track it by itself? Is that uh, next evolution? Yeah, you know, this <laughs> software is configurable. You know, I, there, I do a lot of manual camera work too. In fact, in the past couple of years, that's primarily what I've been doing. But yeah, I have been working on software that will do some automatic tracking of the of the storm based on maybe the warning or or just putting in a compass heading um, or just so that it gets a nice stable shot because the, the car is constantly in motion and turning and, and everything and, and getting a nice a nice picture is pretty much what I'm after there. Now you're putting stuff together yourself. Where'd you get the dome? I mean, you can't just like go to Home Depot. Hey, I need a dome for a yeah, I mean, actually, a lot of the parts I can get from Home Depot, but there are a lot, there are a lot of internet suppliers out there that will will do custom fabrication stuff for you. They'll do laser cutting of plastic parts, and and you can even have stuff three D printed now, which is really cool. Um, I'm buddy buddy with a with a guy named Brad Goddard, a chaser out of the Quad Cities area, and he he runs his own fabrication shop, and he's made parts for me. But yeah, I can actually there's websites where you can custom order an acrylic dome, and that will make it to spec for you. So, so yeah. How much does that cost? 
Um, oh man, it's been a gigantic money pit. I don't even want to try to add it up in my head. I've, bringing back nightmares. I've wasted, I've wasted thousands of dollars building these little contraptions. So some of them didn't work at all. And some of them have worked quite well. So. All right. So I'm going to jump to uh, skip. There was uh, there was something and, and we had shared it on an episode very early on as a uh, WX resource, but you had done, and I can't remember, I think I saw it at at, uh, at a ChaserCon somewhere, but you had done a, a, a repeat of the El Reno tornado and pulled together video footage uh, from lots of other chasers. And, and I don't know if other people were involved in that with you, but I do know that that, that was a project you had worked on. But it, it was it was really cool because it could track uh, the path of the El Reno tornado, and it also allowed you to view the video of any of the chasers around the tornado at the exact moment and, and had it all synced to each other. So you could track a chaser on the north end of it and one on the south end of it and see both views uh, synced exactly at the same time uh, to see different views of that. So I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. But my question is, what was the real end game to putting that together? What what were you trying to accomplish with that? Uh, and what have you accomplished with it? Yeah, so um, what that was is the El Reno survey. And if you want to check it out, go look at it. Just Google El Reno survey and the website will come up and you can use our interactive web tool. And so what we did was after that, um, deadly and record-breaking El Reno tornado, um, we wanted to basically find out what that storm did and, and why it did it. And we had this just enormous mass of storm chaser video that's out there. There were hundreds and hundreds of storm chasers on that storm from every position and every angle documenting every aspect of that storm. Um, but the problem is it's, it's all just kind of this uncontrolled mess of data. How do we take all of that and utilize it and make it useful to people that want to study this storm. So Anton Simon, he's an atmospheric scientist out in New York. He's our project lead. He organized our group and, and brought me on as a software developer and he said, let's take all of this storm chaser footage, let's put it in one database and let's synchronize it so that um, we have everybody's video down to um, a 30th of a second accuracy and we know exactly where every chaser is, where they were on, on this storm. And what they did is they actually looked at the lightning strikes in that storm. So there's a flash of lightning and we can see it in everybody's video. And then we synchronized every single video to that single lightning flash. And that gave us basically an accuracy of one frame of video, which is about a 30th of a second. So we had 90 storm chasers donate video um, from this event put in this database. It was all synchronized down very precisely. We got everybody's very specific GPS position using Google Maps. We can look in their video to see exactly where they're positioned. We took all of this data, put it in a database, and then my job was to come in and make an interactive web tool based out of that. So when you go to the website, you'll see an interactive Google Maps display. On top of the map is the radar data from the storm. You'll see the tornado animated across the map um, in real time. And then all of those 90 storm chasers, their video and positioning data is in that tool. And you can flip between the different video angles. Um, it's all interactive. You can click on the cars as they move along the map and see who's shooting from this location, who's shooting from that location. 
So what we wanted to do with this thing is make a research tool that's available to anyone that wants to use this data to learn from the storm. And it's been several years now, but there are still projects and, and research and, and a lot of great work that's coming out of this effort. Um, stuff is still being published. Um, some of our more notable um, um, projects that we've been able to contribute to, Jana Hauser, she's an atmospheric scientist. She works with Howie Bluestein. Um, she used the Raxpole mobile radar data from that storm and then compared it with the storm chaser video in our web tool to verify their radar observations from the storm. And they had a really, really surprising discovery. Um, the lowest tilt of the radar beam, they usually discard it because there's too much ground clutter and noise. They, they don't like that data there, it's unreliable. But what they saw in their data was, was really intriguing to them. They noticed that the tornado vortex signature appeared in the lowest tilt first before it appeared higher up in the storm because they're slicing that storm at different heights. They said, hey, this tornado started at the ground first, not up in the storm. Mm -hmm. um, so this looks like a pretty compelling case that we have bottom up tornado genesis. Basically, this tornado spun up from the ground first rather than touching down coming out of the clouds. So um, they normally would find that radar data suspect because it was just in that lowest tilt, but they were able to go back and use our tool and say, okay, at precisely this second when our, our radar beam sweep the storm, um, what were the storm chasers seeing? And sure enough, from multiple angles, we had multiple, there were multiple vortices kicking up from the ground yeah. in the storm chaser video. So yeah, I'm on the site right now. Yeah. It's very cool. <clears throat> and I got to tell you, you guys are like the human Dorothy. You're all like those little teeny bits of information yeah. where you can go on the map. This is now I'm also on the call for a data page. Are you still accepting data from people? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we've had people donate shots years after the event and we will still wow. plug it in and make it available for use in the tool. Absolutely. So, and again, there's still discoveries and, and work that's being done with this. So good job, Skip. This is cool. Thanks. Uh, that is cool. All right, hey, our our intern Morgan, you've been pretty quiet. You get you. I just I got on I got on the site. I'm, oh, I'm you're, you're the... checking it out too. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, <laughs> that, that I'm I'm going to ask some fun questions here a little bit. So, Skip, uh, Chase alone or with others? Um, both. Um, okay. I I usually try to have my um, regular Chase partner with me, Jennifer Brindley. Yep. And uh, and. But I'll go solo too. But it's always nice having the extra eyes, extra help in the car, and and somebody you know that you click with, and it makes you such a better chaser. So so, so when you so when you have a chase partner, how how do you divvy up your uh, duties? Uh, how, how do you guys, you and Jennifer, split that up? Yeah, um, I do most of the driving and most of I would say kind of the the radar nav, and um, and Jen, she is looking out the window and shooting, she's doing stills and I'm doing video. And I try to, again, with the camera dome and my camera mounts and stuff, I try to let my video run autonomously so that I can focus on drive and, and the rest of the chase. But yeah, she's actively um, doing all of our photography. So, and then, and really doing most of our storm spotting because I'm focused on the road. She's, it's up to her to find, you know, the structure that we're looking at. So when you're picking volunteers and stuff, are you, do you have like a, a survey? And one of the questions is like, do you have a strong bladder? Can go for hours without having to go to the bathroom? Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. You mean like when I'm having people come with me? 
Yeah, because I'm, I'm down to 15 minutes and I almost have to go again. Yeah, so Maz, you're out. out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having the, a large bladder is is one of the <laughs> one of the the best skills you can have as a storm chaser for sure. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so here's another fun question: Top five things you need to have access to when you're chasing uh, besides your vehicle. So, top five things besides your vehicle while you're chasing uh, that you need to have access to. Mm. Catheter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we actually um, we actually talked about putting in a relief tube in the vehicle, <laughs> and uh, oh, wow. yeah, just drill you drill a hole through the floor and run some polyurethane through there. Yeah, no funnel. Yeah, man. Um, no, wow. Morgan's um, not coming back. By the way. She's, uh, I, I'll go. Oh, I'm, I'm not going. No. I actually have a really funny story about that. So I, I actually chased in the tornado intercept vehicle for a while too, and and inside the tip. They actually have a hatch in the floor for that very purpose. Um, you just open up the hatch, but the problem is there's so much wind that comes in. It just oh. absolutely doesn't work. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so, so yeah, visual. Top, top five things. Um, so I try to break it down into categories. And so I don't really even know if you need five. So five um, things like, you know, think uh, either either sites, uh, websites that you got to use, or obviously to use it oh, you sure. need to have your phone okay. or a laptop. Yeah. Um, yeah, like any of those things, yeah. So number one is you need some form of navigation. And that varies from chaser to chaser. A lot so of what's yours? What's yours? Um, I use uh, uh, my laptop with a GPS puck and Delorme Street Alice is the software that I use. So. Okay. Um, a lot of more modern chasers are just using their phone and Google Maps. And uh, after that, you need some data. And again, modern chasers, they're using radar scope on their phone. Um, I do as well, but I also have a 21-inch touchscreen I put in my car because I, I absolutely can't use a little tiny screen when I'm chasing. It drives me crazy. So I have a giant screen in my car, and on top of that, I have radar and my nav right there on a touch screen, so I can just very quickly poke the screen and see what I need to see. Okay. So, so that's that's four things. So you have your GPS puck, you have your touch screen, you have your maps, and you have radar scope. You got one more thing. Yeah. Okay. One more thing. It's the College of DuPage's website because I can get all of my Model. forecasting. Yeah, models and satellite and current observations. It's it's like my one it's like my one stop go to shop. So, yeah. If you've That's got awesome. a if you've got a blue sky bust and you got a twenty one inch screen, do you ever like I'm gonna watch Lion King now? That's oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we'll put out a movie when we're doing. <laughs> sure, you better believe it. All right. Hey, so last, I want to hear a little bit uh, about more about uh, Storm Assist uh, and that organization and kind of what you've been doing lately with them. Yeah, Storm Assist is just a loose-knit group of storm chasers. We're, we're all volunteers. We came together and we said, hey, how can we help the people that we see impacted by these storms that we're out there documenting? And so we came up with various ways to raise um, money for victims of storms and tornadoes. And, and what we do is every year, we everyone donates their video and their, their beautiful photographs, and we assemble those into productions like a DVD and a Blu-ray. We have an annual storm chasing DVD, and uh, we sell that, and then 100% of the profits from that go to storm victims. So um, we use that as a fundraiser, and then the next tornado that hits, it does damage or hurts people, um, we get together and we say, hey, how can we send money to this community? Well, we're a small group. 
um, our donations are relatively small. So instead of them just going to say the Red Cross where we get kind of lost in the overhead, we, we try to actually go directly to the community. So we've donated to pet shelters, um, schools. Um, we've given debit cards out to, to actual residents who have been hit by these storms just so that our small contributions have the most impact. So that's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah, that is. Mm -hmm. that's really I am so excited to introduce this woman. Um, born to be in front of the camera and performing, Jacqueline is the severe weather junkie on the Weather Network team. Yes. She's done Women in Chasing series, or she has a Women in Chasing series with Jacqueline Whittle, um, a digital meteorologist with the Weather Network, and also the host, and at one time a host of Storm Hunters. Um, Jacqueline joined the Weather Network in 2012 with an already impressive background. She started at Rogers TV hosting daytime, worked at two radio stations in Barrie, interned in weather, at Weather Center in, in City TV, worked for Global Regina, 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 you got Regina. and Global Toronto Weather Centers. Now, Jacqueline was a singer and a performer for 12 years before the broadcasting bug caught on and she moved on to study meteorology and is a Mississippi State University Operational Meteorology Program graduate. Jacqueline is part of the Storm Hunters team driving all over Tornado Alley, bringing us reports of volatile weather patterns. Jacqueline, <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us tonight. I <laughs> Thank think you. you're welcome. And I think a lot of us want to know, now how does a singer performer go to be a meteorologist? I know everybody asked me that question. <laughs> that was a really nice intro. So thank you very much, Kim. Um, you know, basically uh, my whole life, I was a musician. I started out as a pianist, as a young person, and then I went into singing. So my teenage years, I was, you know, doing musicals and that sort of thing. Went to university for musical theater. And my whole life, my, my dream was to become a performer um, on Broadway. And uh, while I didn't do Broadway stage shows, I did do I guess equivalents here in Canada. I toured um, in Europe and played the role of Sandy uh, in Grease the Musical. That was oh, really, nice. Yeah, that was wow. really cool. Uh, that was when I was 26, a long time ago now. But I did I did uh, music and performing for yeah nearly 12 years, and I really got to a point in my career where I wanted to kind of tap my academic side, and I was you know done with auditioning and wearing sexy costumes on stage and you know, the leather pants for Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to squeeze into them. I'll tell you, but I wore them and I, uh, yeah, but that was an amazing experience. And, uh, all of it was, it was a very special part of my career and my life. And there's part of me that, you know, believes I should probably do that again. It's actually been almost 10 years, believe it or not, since I've been on stage doing anything. So as soon as I decided to switch into meteorology, it was full bore, full, you know, went through myself into, into media and, uh, you know, had to basically start right from scratch at over 30 years old and starting to work and volunteer my time. And, and, um, I worked really hard and, and, uh, yeah, now I'm, I'm with the, the weather network, which is, uh, similar to your weather channel in the state, mm -hmm. the national network. Um, I used to work on the linear TV side, but uh, right now I'm, I'm mainly doing more of a digital platform for the company. So uh, doing forecasts for, for Canada on, on the app and on our website, which has a, a massive reach worldwide. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm very active with our show Storm Hunters, which is 
definitely my passion. So I'm busy. I still teach piano. I still uh, teach singing, uh, but that's that's what I do now. So yeah, it's really great to be with you guys. I'm in good company. And I'm excited. 30, yeah. 30. You're like so old. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. I'm going to be 41. That's what? Like, yep. Oh, oh my oh, gosh. Jeff, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you this cause it's relevant. So you're talking okay. about age. So how, how old were you when you made the mental decision to go, all right, I'm going, which is where, rare to go from arts to science. Yeah. How, how old were you at that point first? 30. That's, okay. that's when okay. I had that little, uh, you know, epiphany that, hey, this has been great, but it's been my whole life. I want to try something different. So, so here's the thing, because there's, we, we, we have a lot of listeners and viewers that are, are probably in that similar boat, right, where they've, they've got a little bit of the weather bug or they've got something that, that's tugging at their, their, their um, strings a little to say, hey, you know, you really like weather. Maybe you should do this. And they're going, yeah, but I'm already yeah, kind of doing 30. this. So <laughs> how, how were you able to do that switch from one industry and just go oh, i'm just gonna go and do this now and go to school and pay my you know pay all the tuition and exactly make that happen and have a mortgage and three yeah. steps at the time and oh um, you had kids yeah. then too wow good yeah. for you girl go thanks <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah they're all grown up now but when i first met my stepdaughters i have three they were five eight and twelve and now they're 22 25 and 29. oh so, my gosh here's the really crazy part uh, my oldest uh her name is corey uh, her and her husband-to-be just had twin baby boys nearly two years ago. So I'm actually a grandma. Oh, oh congratulations. That's yeah. yes, wonderful. I love them very much. And we're actually, we call me Glamma instead of Grandma. Yeah. Oh, that's Glamma. Cool. Oh, I like that. Wow. <laughs> I might feel that. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but they're, they're wonderful. And, uh, you know, to, to talk to how I made that change, because I think my parents in particular, what? You're, you're doing what? Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was one of those things where I thought that media would be a good, um, you know, kind of marriage to my other career. I knew that I wouldn't shy in front of the camera or the, or the microphone in radio. And that's kind of where I started. So I, I didn't really know it was going to be weather right out of the gates, although I've always had a nerdy passion for weather. Uh, my dad would take us down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida every, every winter, every spring break. And the first thing that he would do would turn on the weather channel in the in the room and, uh, we didn't get the weather channel because we were in canada so oh, right. we put the weather channel on we're like oh super cool um but uh we you know he was a weather nerd i grew up with that i've always enjoyed weather but it was at that time that i i just kind of went into media and then one thing led to another and i signed up for the mississippi state program and and then just it just kind of went from there and now it's absolutely just as big of a passion as as music once was so what, what what triggered the weather part? Like, because sometimes people are always like, oh, I was in a tornado or I grew up, I saw something. So for you to change, there had to be something that said weather. I think I would say my father because he was always the weather nerd in the family. And we kind of identified with that. But it wasn't like it was this passion I had, you know, throughout high school. I was all about music. And, and so I never really thought too much about weather. If you told me I'd be a meteorologist in my 30s, I would have thought you were nuts. Um, but I grew up in an area in southern Ontario. So right, right across the border from Detroit, Michigan, I was about 15, 20 minutes from the border. So, you know, by Canadian standards, that is a very active uh, place for weather, severe weather in particular in, in the summer season. So, you know, I grew up, you know, hearing the tornado warnings over the river in Monroe, Michigan. And, oh, wow. you know, 
Yeah. And we would, so I was kind of half American in a way because mm. I knew Fahrenheit before I knew Celsius, you know, um, I didn't know a lot of our Canadian musical artists. I grew up, everything was, you know, if we went shopping, we went to Detroit, we went to the States. If we went vacationing, we went down to Florida. Yeah. Um, I still do a lot of travel in the States, both with work and personally. So I, I do feel kind of like I, I have a bit of both. And oddly enough, about two years ago, uh, the Weather Network launched uh, basically a presence, a digital presence in the U.S. And I was the one responsible for doing that. So for the last two years, I've been forecasting U.S. weather, um, which was really exciting. And I got to learn a lot. I'm now back on the Canada side. But I got to, <laughs> I got to learn a lot. And uh, so, I mean, it was weird because I was living in just outside of Toronto. And uh, people would be like, so what's the weather going to be like this weekend, Jacqueline? I'm like, I have no idea. But I can't about Colorado. You know, I just, it's a digital age where we do so much, you know, remotely now. I was so excited to hear you were in digital because that's my my life now. So I'm like, go Jacqueline. We got it. We got here. Especially, you know, it's kind of cool when you've got somebody in Canada versus the United States, and it's just kind of interesting to hear what they do on a day to day basis. Yeah, I mean, it's so much has changed. Obviously, you know, we're in constant meetings, as I'm sure you guys are um, in your company about you know, where's the appetite moving forward? I mean, we know that the linear platform is changing, but there's still certainly a need for linear TV. Nobody's, everybody's right. not forward cutting, right. um, you know, but it, it is changing. And, you know, we're, we're exploring different things like, you know, streaming on our app and, you know, there's so many, there's so mm. many angles you can take on the digital platform and, you know, doing live field coverage, which I do a lot of, you know, bringing that digital presence. So it's almost like watching a linear platform, but but you're on digital. So I really like it. I've really had to diversify. And I think every meteorologist, whether you work for, you know, a local news station or on a national level, you've had to diversify and that the days of just kind of showing up and doing a shift yeah. are done. I mean, you know, I'm writing articles. I'm obviously very active on social. You're streaming, you're periscoping, driving. Mm -hmm. It's nonstop. And, and it's awesome because it's always changing. And you're bilingual. You speak Canadian and American. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Put that on your resume, Bravo. bilingual. Bravo. Do you ever cover states or um, storms in the states? All the time. Um, yeah. So every season, we the, the show Storm Hunters that um, that I host and actually now started kind of producing. Not kind of. I'm producing, but I've only done two episodes out of like thirty. Um, so, uh, but we go down to the states. We go. Uh, I was covering Hurricane Michael, uh, Hurricane Florence this season. Um, you know, we were in Mexico Beach hours after the major storm surge rolled through that area. Um, and it was pretty incredible. I mean, I've covered uh, more Oklahoma, uh, El Reno. I've been out all the big ones in the yeah, state. Wow. Because we, we just tend to be there. In the Canadian, um, our Canadian audience takes a lot of interest in U.S. weather. Um, so, you know, so much of what's happening south of the border is impacting us, whether it's a nor'easter coming up to the Canadian Maritimes, yeah. up the eastern seaboard, or, you know, again, severe weather into uh, the Midwest. So we're, you know, we're, we're north of you, but we watch a lot of what's going on south of us. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, we're down there all the time. Uh, but we're diversifying with the show, too. We're becoming a little bit more international now because we've got 30 episodes of Storm Hunters. So we've done Tornado. How do you, Tornado Alley, how do you top? you know, and I say top, but how do you top an El Reno day? Well, it's pretty yeah. tough. That's a, you know, historical day. Um, so we're trying to do different things. So last year we um, shot an episode on the earthquake and the rebuilding efforts in Nepal. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was really amazing. Mm -hmm. um, we went to the Canadian Arctic this past summer 
um, way, way northern Baffin Island, way up there, and talked about polar bears and climate and all kinds of things. So, um, you know, we're, we're switching things up. And again, being on digital, that uh, can go to such a large audience. I got to plug my show for a second. Yeah. Storm Hunters, uh, <laughs> there we go. Uh, Storm Hunters just got distributed as of yesterday on Amazon Prime in the US and in oh, Canada in the nice. UK. Congratulations. Yes, that's Thank wonderful. You. So a lot of hard work. It's been in production for, I'd say maybe seven, eight years now, the show. I've been a part of it for six. So uh, check it out on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Very good. Oh, hey, we're, we're, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a short break, everybody. Go ahead and refill your drink. And uh, <laughs> when we get back, uh, we will definitely talk some more about uh, chasing with Jacqueline. All right, so we're back with Jacqueline uh, from the Weather Network, and, and you were talking a little bit about your Storm Hunters um, uh, series, mm-hmm. and which which you said, how many episodes now? You said 30? I think we're actually like 31 now, which okay. is really cool. Which that's pretty, I'll be honest with you, I don't know many uh, storm chasing series that make it that, you know, 30, <laughs> do 30 plus episodes. Yeah. That's uh that's actually well, pretty good. Especially but, after the tornado years we've had, Phil, right? I mean, the past four years has been... Yeah. Yeah. Well, so so I'm going to go back to this. So you were talking a little bit about, about El Reno, and it's it's kind of rare that any time we have a chaser on, that that obviously doesn't come up, and that storm doesn't come up. And I read a little bit that, that you were... Ha- was it half a mile away from uh, Tim Samaras and, and the group? What, yeah. I, what I want to know is what was that day like for you and and where you were at what you were thinking um kind of what was going on were you by yourself or with someone Uh, i was with my chase team uh the production team with with storm hunters how many Um, what what are we talking um, about in your caravan total from well in my vehicle was just myself and my co-host and i was actually shooting that particular year like i was camera person slash host so i was wearing a lot of hats but um we also had a team of meteorologists that were in a different vehicle that worked for our company and then we also had just a couple other fellow chasers that people may know, Scott McPartland, Dave Lewison, uh, Chris Kreidler, just to name a few, you know, kind of the you know, it's kind of a close knit circle. So they were traveling with us as they do every chase season. And, uh, you know, our experience, as soon as I hear it and I hear you sort of intro it like this, I get this, you know, weird feeling in my stomach because it, it had that feeling that day. Um, it, you know, that day was the longest wait for storms to go up or at least it felt that way maybe because we all had that pit in our stomach and it took till like 5 5 30 in the afternoon for anything to really go up and where'd you start we started uh just east of you know where we ended up which wasn't far like we were on high highway 81 which is where tim and crew were just off of highway 81 everybody was on highway 81 um but we were just east of there and we're at a gas station and uh, just hanging out, sun, sun sky, you know, could have been one of those days that everything would go up or nothing would go up, even though it was such a high risk day. And we were just playing cards and like waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing was going. And finally the cap broke and off we saw a couple blips on radar and we got in the car and went fast. And within about 20 minutes to a half hour, that storm, you know, went up to this explosive monster supercell that obviously, you know, put down the largest wedge in history um and of course we didn't know this then so we're our experience basically we were along highway 81 and uh, nobody really knew what we were looking at uh george karunas and mark robinson are the two people that i chase with george karunas was also in a different vehicle he was north of i don't know how familiar everyone was with 
uh, is with Highway 81, but it's kind of like gone down as like a, I don't know, like a historical spot to be, I guess, on that chase. Mm -hmm. It's a north-south, you know, highway. And of course, this is where Mike Bettis was and that truck obviously was heading yeah. south on 81 too. And that that story. Um, but my, my friend George and my, my partner George radioed to us up near the airport, which was north of where the tornado was. And he said, okay, tornado, tornado, we've got a confirmation. None of us could see anything because it's just this rain-wrapped beast. But then all of a sudden, we could see it getting closer. And I just thought it was rain. I didn't realize, you know, this, I guess only my second or third chase here at that time. And and I didn't really know what I was looking at. And sure enough, what I was looking at was the outer edges of this massive tornado that grew so rapidly, as we know, and then started to cross basically just north of us, which would all be fine if we had a nice escape route going south. The problem is, is that there were so many chasers on the road that day. Everybody was trying to escape this massive beast of, you know, of the storm so we're trying to to get out i'm shooting out the window i see these people getting into their storm shelter literally closing the door behind them and i'm going oh my gosh like you know i don't know if this is the, and before i can think like we got to go we got to go all i see is brake lights brake lights brake lights mm -hmm. and everybody like hundreds of locals and chasers are just all trying to flee at the same time and that was the most terrifying part because I didn't really know that I'm looking at the world's largest tornado. I just knew it was a tornado, uh, which I had yeah. seen many times before. But it it was something I'll never forget. And at that point, you know, we didn't know what happened to Tim and crew. We didn't know what happened to Mike Bettis. We didn't know what happened to Greg Johnson. And I think Reed Timmer was in some trouble on that one. So everybody couldn't flee quick enough because the storm just did unusual things. Um, so yeah, we, we had to radio to our friends to make sure they were okay. A good friend of mine, a chaser from Australia, his name is Dan Shaw. He was um, hit by a transport truck because the transport truck was hit with the outer edges of the tornado and that hit Dan's car and just terrifying footage that came out of that day. And that was our last chase day. And by last day, I mean, it was our last day before we went back to Canada. And I thought it might be my last chase day forever because I was really shaken up by it. We had spent, uh, you know, days before that, several days reporting and more on the EF5 there. So we were already just, I mean, not to make it about us because it was obviously so much about everyone else, but just tired and, and stressed and like, oh, geez. So after El Reno, that was it. And I thought maybe I may not chase again. I did. Many what, times. What, was, was there a point during that, that that you were thinking, oh, my God, this like you had that that this could be it uh thought going i mean what was that point where were you at the what was going on yeah i i always go back i you know it's it's kind of a blur but then there's other things that stand out that i'll never forget and i think it's those people getting into their storm shelter you know you always interview people that have come out of their shelters and you've talked to people hey did you take shelter but actually me being there and seeing all these brake lights at the same time that these people are now getting underground and i know that i have no you know, escape route, really, you know, anytime that we're ever in a predicament like that, we always make sure we have an escape route. But everybody was on that same, like county road, waiting on the same storm, because I think we were all waiting that afternoon for so long for storms to go up that when it did, we all just went yeah. on the same cell. And everybody was just, you know, um, it was dangerous for everyone. And I think it's really changed storm chasing and how we all approach storm. I know it has for me and a lot of my, my colleagues, like 
we play it safe and we, we always did, but even safer now, you know, um, sure. You make, you make mistakes. Sometimes you make a wrong turn, you get too close, but ever since that day, I think it's changed a lot of chasers. So did you say that was your third main chase? I think that was my third season. Uh, that was 2013. Okay. So no, you know what? It was my, second season so oddly enough when you started the show you talked about greg johnson the host of tornado hunters um so he was my first chase partner and uh i was living out in um in saskatchewan in the canadian prairies working at global regina which is a local news station and greg approached me and and i like i said if you told me i was a meteorologist and a storm chaser in my 30s back then i would have thought you were not <laughs> he just said hey have you ever thought about uh, going to tornado alley and, and chasing some storms and I'm about as green as it gets. This is my first weather gig, you know, and I said, yeah, sure. Why not? I, okay. So I talked to my news director and uh, he approved it. And because we have such a, a active severe weather season in the summer in the Canadian prairies, he thought it was a great opportunity to like kind of brand us as, Hey, we're your severe weather experts. We were in tornado alley in May and here we are now back at home in, in July. Uh, and it was an incredible year. That was the year of Joplin and uh the Piedmont day and there were so many things going on that year so um so that's who i chased with first and uh greg's a good guy and and we've remained friends since and so now he has a show tornado hunters and i have storm hunters and yeah it's kind of weird that we both ended up with tv shows <laughs> so i, I want to go back to, to phil's question for a second because i think yeah. it's very unique with that that being your second season and probably being very excited as most people are, but you're because you were so green, and I and that's such an interesting perspective. At, at what point did did you besides the people getting when you saw the tornado? Or what was that realization moment when you saw? Did you see it coming out of the rain, or did what was that moment where all of a sudden you're like, "Hey, that's <laughs> oh no"? Yeah. When when did that happen? I would think I don't think I ever knew that it was out of the rain um what i mean is it never revealed itself as oh there's the tornado okay. it just looked like a massive two point what is it 2.6 mile wide you know mass of rain like just a massive rain mm -hmm. shaft coming at us that's what we thought so i don't ever recall saying oh, okay there what i do re remember is thinking uh oh that that is the tornado like that might be the tornado like what we're thinking we're looking at isn't just rain and as it came closer and we know it accelerated and changed directions you could see that out in the field and we can see that in our footage where you can see it's there and then okay it's really coming close to us very quickly um thank god we were far enough south on that highway that we we could get out even despite the the traffic jam but obviously people that you know were north of me on highway 81 um couldn't get out and you, you know tim I didn't know Tim that well, but I mean, he was a colleague and, and, you know, a lot of chasers know everybody kind of thing that, that does this. But uh, as I understand, you know, he was, he was definitely the real deal. He was not a thrill seeker. He was out there for science. He was doing it for the right reasons, so to say. And, you know, he was, I know exactly where he was at because we went back the following year and kind of paid our respects. And, you know, he, you just, you just couldn't escape in time. You know, that thing moved so quickly and it crossed the road in a way, it, there's, there's right turners, you know, when we talk about supercells and then there's that, it just was like accelerating and changing directions. And I don't know if, if you were in the wrong spot, you just didn't have a chance. So, so, so you yeah. mentioned it wasn't a very great, uh, visually interesting 
tornado, right? I mean, it, was, it really was a big, massive rain shaft cloud yeah. that covered such a big territory. There was really no edge to it. Yeah. So visually, tell me a little bit visually what have been some of the most interesting storms, whether it's tornadoes, whether it's hurricanes that, that you've seen, Jacqueline, uh, uh, whether your camera caught it or not, what, sure. what have been the most, most visually interesting storms? Um, okay. Uh, I would probably say my first tornado I ever saw was uh, a beautiful stovepipe tornado in Ada, Oklahoma. That was in 2011. And it was just beautiful. It was at dusk. It, it appeared like it was coming down this, this roadway toward us, even though it wasn't. It was kind of going the opposite, like it was kind of going parallel. But it just had this beautiful shot. I was with Greg Johnson that year. It was my first tornado. I just remember not like having this exhilarating feeling like, wow, like that is, I'm looking at one that is real. This is the real deal. It looks so tall to me. Um, so that one always stands out as, as probably the best tornado I've ever seen. Um, in terms of structure, we've seen some amazing, you know, structure out in the field, uh, too many to even recall, but I was able to uh, get into my first uh, eye of uh, Florence this season. Um, so that was pretty neat. Visually, it wasn't all that neat, but I had never been in the, the eye of a hurricane. And while it was a weakening cat one at that stage and it was kind of overcast, it wasn't a clear eye, it was still so cool to be literally reporting in blasting winds, you know, and then to go to like frogs, you know, chirping and stillness and just like little drips of drizzle. And I actually took a little video uh, on my cell phone and, and put it up on Twitter and I looked like such a goof because I was just so excited. <laughs> and I can only imagine what it would be like to see, you know, the stadium eye and something like that, which is so rare to get. I think some people did get it on, uh, on Hurricane Michael, but Hurricane Michael was probably the most, I, I actually think I've changed since Hurricane Michael. I think I prefer chasing tropical weather over tornadoes now, which is, uh, kind of neat. My storm chase partner is all about tornadoes still, but I really love tropical weather. I I love um, the, the the sheer size of the systems and that it's a long duration event. Um, I think tornadoes are more difficult to chase because it's like you know finding that needle in a haystack kind of thing and finding the exact target zone. But hurricanes, there's just a a relentless power to those storms that just wears you down. And as a chaser, but it's awesome you know we we wrote out <laughs> we wrote as as, what's as, that? Long, as long as you're not on the wrong side of the storm surge right <laughs> yes exactly yeah. then it's not not so good um and i think you know that interesting you brought that up because michael um you know there were a lot of people that um well there were there were not a lot of strong structures in and around the mexico are you guys all familiar with that whole setup and were you brady you're are, were you there brady no, I wish I was there. I wish I was there. Just the way you said that, I'm like, uh oh, am I? <laughs> had no like... one to go with. Had, I asked Phil, and he was like, No, I can't. Phil, I don't have any vacation days. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, there's a lot of scrutiny, I think, on chasers. I'm sure you've probably heard about it too, on Michael. That there were, you know, there were certain people that were driving around in their cars chasing uh, Michael, which you know, at this point, was coming on shores strong category four hurricane and you know a couple chasers had their their car washed away with surge like literally while they're documenting the storm and i'm very proud to say that we played that storm extremely safely 
Um, I would have liked to have been closer to the right side of the eye wall. And, um, you know, we, we talk a lot with other chasers and um, we had scoped out Mexico Beach and, and of course where the Tyndall Air Force Base is just east of Panama City Beach. We looked at all that area and there was nowhere safe to ride out the storm. And it's just not, you know, it's not worth my life to no. get that amazing footage. No. So no. we were on the left side of the eye wall. We still probably got 130 mile per hour winds according to some OBS that were pretty close to no. us. And we were in, um, in a, a strong uh, structure. We were at a parking garage uh, right near, what was the hotel? Treasure Island, if you're familiar at all with Panama City Beach. So we had this huge hotel that was blocking um, any debris from coming into the parking garage. And then of course we had the parking garage uh, that allows us to shoot and hide behind really big beams and pillars. And so it's really kind of fun riding it out in a parking garage. Um, and we knew that we had mostly offshore flow so that you know, surge yeah. wouldn't be an issue even if we had to get our cars out at the end. And, and I think as a, as a journalist, um, that's a good way to play the storm too, because it's all great to be on the right side of the eye wall in Mexico beach. But if you can't report on anything yeah, after, because no. the cars lose it. Right. And didn't yeah. you get a ton of wind in that parking garage? You we think you get the, yeah. You think you get yeah. a ton of wind blowing through there. We did. I mean, it was, like I said, it was offshore flow and, and, uh, but it was certainly decent. It was, you know, our footage, when we put together the show for storm hunters, nobody, the, the viewing audience doesn't say, Oh, well, there's, they're definitely on the left side. Of the, you know, <laughs> they don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> it's hurricane footage and it looks awesome. And it was awesome. And, um, there were still some tense moments where we were, I mean, it's not like we were, you know, we were right by the eye wall, but we were just on that left side. And obviously we know the right quadrants where all the crazy action goes. But what was nice is that as soon as the storm ended and it was a short duration event by hurricane standards, um, we literally got in our car and drove to Mexico beach, you know, within mm -hmm. hours that day. And so then we were like ready to go. We were yeah. ready to do our job. And then we got some great uh, drone footage and um, that went, that did very well on, on many platforms. I think the weather channel actually used it, I think. And CNN, uh, um, Anderson Cooper led his newscast with our footage, and we were like, yes. "Wow, <laughs> that's oh, great!" Cool. So you know, that's good value. That's good, uh, you know, ROI. I guess if you're if you're in the strongest part of the storm, sometimes then you're kind of useless if there's so much debris around you that you can't do much. So that was the yeah. best. As you can see, I get excited about Michael. I would say that was the best chase of my life. I I loved mm. that storm. Oh, that's what what level were you on in the parking garage? Uh, various. We would go down to the base, have a bit of fun, go out and, you know, kind of sample the winds with our anemometer. And then if things like debris was flying, we were like, okay, let's go up a level. <laughs> We'd go up a level and we would just kind of move around. And um, actually, we did have a close call where uh, we went into the uh, hotel itself to kind of take a break from the parking garage and get into the structure. And as I walked out, the glass door blew right off behind oh, me. Oh my so God. That was scary. And then I was running to get back in the parking garage and the winds picked me right up and, and I fell on my hip. And it's, it's so funny. And Dina, you could probably appreciate this. Like, that's the video that went viral. Or butt in the air or something crazy. That that's was the one that's you? gonna go. Oh, was well, that's what helped it make a it was it <laughs> did uh, did the hotel bill you for the door no, <laughs> no okay. that's good but i'm wondering you had you had severe you've had tornadoes you've had hurricanes and i was looking at your twitter feed you had one like back in the spring or something at everest you got to do you went to there too at base camp 
Yeah, so that was um, that was a part of that episode in Nepal that we were shooting about the earthquake. So the earthquake was uh, three, almost four years ago, I guess. And so a lot of uh, the country is still, you know, because it is such a, uh, a poor nation, unfortunately, they're still rebuilding from that earthquake. So we thought, hey, maybe we could shoot that episode, cover it with awesome, well, awesome, but, you know, good B-roll to tell the story. Mm -hmm obviously devastating B-roll, but, you know, package it and make it a really great show and then get those personal stories while we were there. So we did do that. And I think it turned out to be a really great episode. But the Everest part was um, basically we had a, a helicopter uh, company take us to Lukla Airport. If you know Lukla, that's the most dangerous airport in the world. That's crazy. So we were we were landed in a helicopter, which is great. But in a fixed wing aircraft, you're basically landing in the Himalayas um, on the edge of a mountain on a 1700 foot runway that's on like a I don't know eight degree pit 1700 oh. feet that's it's it unbelievable oh my unbelievable. god and these planes come it's in crazy. Out, and literally you you take off and it's like you're taking off an edge of a mountain and oh, you better oh hey, jump. Oh, quick jump in hey, better hey, quick jump off we're here go 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 that's it. That's <laughs> when we were at Lukla Airport, I was so sick. That was my day. You know, you go oh world traveler. That was my day that I was sick. And I remember lying on the pavement in a winter puffy jacket with helicopters landing in front of me, <laughs> oh trying to sleep. So we went up to base camp. And because we went up to base camp without clim uh, uh, climatizing ourselves to that elevation, oh. we actually only had five minutes to get off the helicopter and five minutes to get back on. And that's it. Because Really? Was, yep, because then you can have, what is it, pulmonary edema, I think it's yep. called? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, um, it, and it's real. And my, I felt okay. I got off. I was there. I was selfieing it and doing some ever shots. And all the people on base camp were waving at us. It was such a rush. And then my chase partner, though, when he went up, he felt really weak in the knees. Um, and then the coolest part of that was that we got back in the helicopter to go back to Kathmandu and we, we were flying, we were threading the needle between thunderstorms in the Himalayas. I was like, oh, oh can I be the best wow. I want to go with you. Yeah. 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 You know what? I think I'm going to Kathmandu. Okay. <laughs> it's really me. Let's go. I want to go to. Right now. I want to hang out with Jacqueline. She gets I know. Oh, stop. Uh, what a great here. career. What a career. All right, Jacqueline, Jacqueline, do this for us. I got one last, last I got one last question. Last question. This be quick. So I was reading your bio, Jacqueline. It says uh, you like horseback riding. Now, have you ever considered like riding <laughs> horseback chasing? I mean, I think that can be wow. God, you better have know. a damn good exit strategy. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Just, you know. okay. The horse is going to look at you like, oh, I don't think so. Okay, <laughs> My answer to that, Brady, is that I am such a beginner that my horse probably would just stop and be like, no. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ride, but I'm like at the, you know, I'm just learning to canter right now. I'm I'm really not very good. So uh, no, that would not that would not end well. <laughs> All right. So so on that note, so you told us a little bit about Storm Hunters. Um, how how can other people find you or follow you on social media or sure. reach out to you? Well, you can go to theweathernetwork.com slash stormhunters, and then most of our episodes are there for viewing. Um, you can watch a show on Amazon Prime, as I mentioned. Um, if you are listening from Australia, we are on National Geographic in Australia, and we're on Sky Network in the UK, because you never know. We have international listeners, I'm sure, here. And um, you can also follow me on Twitter, if you want, which is J 
Whittall, W-H-I-T-T-A-L-T-W-N. So that's my Twitter account. And that's pretty well where I do most of my social media. I probably should be doing other things like Instagram. And uh, anyway, <laughs> it's hard to say enough. That's enough. That's enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for tuning in to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. You can watch our bi-weekly show live on youtube.com slash stormfrontfreaks and download the audio version on your favorite podcast player. For links to our Patreon team of exclusive benefits, show notes, past shows, new videos, merchandise, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you're there, check out our interactive chaser radar from our friends at zoomradar.com. If you'd like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Search for Stormfront Freaks. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.